0: I want you to understand the very reason that God created you. I really do. Because that's how you will experience God's love. As you get in, as I call the bullseye or the zone, you're gonna feel fruitful and fulfilled and you're gonna experience God's love in a way that you have never experienced it before. And this ties in with hope. Our definition of hope has been Stop listening to your feelings and start listening to the word of God, praying over the promises of God, fulfilling the purposes of God as we fall on the character of God or the nature of God. To understand your calling, you have to begin with God because he is the one that created you. This may shock you, but you did not create yourself. And because you didn't, you can't tell yourself what your purpose is. But God is your creator, and he created you for a purpose. And so your calling in life or your purpose in life actually begins in the nature of God. That is why in the definition, it's the last thing mentioned. Now, the Bible tells us that the nature of God is love that God just doesn't have love or show love, that God is love, that love is his nature. The Bible tells us that everything that God has ever made, he did so because he wanted to love it. God has never made anything that he doesn't love. Folks, he loves the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees and the moon up above and a thing called love. Okay. It's pretty obvious I haven't been called to be a worship leader. But nevertheless, I thought that. And he loves you. You were created as an object of God's love. He made you to love you. And he did so so that you would experience his love. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, or chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. Stop right there. Before God made the universe, folks, he had you in mind. And he chose you to love you. God made the universe so he could make our solar system, so he could make our planet. And he made our planet in such a way that it would sustain life so he could create you, so he could love you to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been, in other words, this has been from the beginning of time, to adopt us into his own family. God wants a family. By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, and this gave him great pleasure. Will you circle the word great pleasure? God made you to love you. Now in this series, we're going to take a look at the five callings that God has on your life. The word calling is used ten times more often than the word purpose. But when you look at the word calling, we're talking about looking at your purpose. We're talking about your assignment in life. We're talking about the reason that God created you. And the very first purpose or reason or calling on your life this may shock you, is not to serve him. The very first purpose in your life is to be loved by him. Let that sink in. The very first purpose is not to serve God or obey God or trust God or even to love God back. The very first purpose or reason is to let God Love you. God created you first not to do something. And I say that because in our culture, we are triple A. Got to do, got to do, got to do. No, the first purpose for which he created you was to receive something, to be a receptacle, to be a benefactor, to be a receiver. Think about that. This is taught throughout the Bible. In Jude, Jude is one chapter with twenty five verses. And I mention this book because it is not a song that the the Beatles sang, okay? It is a book in the Bible. you know that you remember that song? Hey, Jude, don't make it bad. Take a bad song and make it better. And if those aren't the right words, I, listen to Rob's message. i I just made it up, okay? But I mention this book because Jude brings this point out. In verse one, he says, this letter is from Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to stop there for a moment as we get to know this book. Jude is a humble guy here because he doesn't mention the fact that he is the half-brother of Jesus, which may shock you again. You may think, well, I thought Jesus was a virgin. She was. She was a virgin uh, when she had Jesus. But after that, Joseph and Mary had normal relationships, and she had sons and daughters, and some of those sons was Jude and James here. Notice he goes on, though. I am writing to all who are called to live in the love of God the Father and in the care of Jesus Christ. So if my first purpose is to be loved, then my first calling is to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. Your number one calling in life isn't rules, regulations, or rituals. No, it is a relationship. And Christianity, by the way, is not a world religion it, 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 full, filled full of rules, regulations, and rituals. No, it is about a relationship. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I would be and could be in relationship with him. Now this raises the question, well, what kind of relationship does he What Does God want me to be a slave? No. Does God want you to be a servant? No. Does God want you to be a soldier? No. God doesn't want you to be a warrior or a worker either. No, no, absolutely not. God wants you to be his son and his daughter. He wants you in his family. Take a look at Romans chapter 1. This is our memory verse for this week, Romans 1, verse 7. Dear friends in Rome, Paul says. He could have said, dear friends in Plano, okay? God loves you dearly, and he has called you to be, in, to be his very own people. So let me give you three fundamental facts that this series really is based upon, okay? Okay? And you can write this down. My first purpose in life is to be loved by God. My first calling in life, write this down, is to be, is to enjoy a relationship with God. And then write this third thing down. That relationship is to be a son or a daughter of God. That is the most amazing truth that you will ever hear. That the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the the... the, the The creator of the universe doesn't want you to be a slave or a servant or or a soldier. He wants you to be a son or a daughter. This is your number one calling in life. Your calling in life isn't to make something of your life. It isn't to possess things. It isn't to do things. It is to be his son or his daughter. It's to experience his love for you. Now, I would say this, that most people don't, don't know of God's love or have never experienced it, I would say. They, they may know it. In fact, if you ask, do you know that God loves you? Oh, yeah, I know I, I know God loves me. And yet, as they think of God's love, it's boring to them. And why is that? Because they don't get it. And, you, and Because if they got it, folks, they would be excited about it they have it in their head but they haven't let it hit their heart and resonate with their heart where they're excited and have been moved by it you might write this verse down i didn't have time to get it in the outline first john 3 verse 1 it's where john says we're named and called and counted to be children to be the children of god we are named you are my child We are called to be his sons and daughters. And we are counted. You are part of my family. Now why would God do that? It's because he wants you and I to experience his love. And his love is extravagant. It is lavish. It is beyond comprehension. He loves you on your good days as well as your bad days. He loves you when you feel it and when you don't feel it. He loves you when you think you deserve it and when you know you don't deserve it. You can't make God stop loving you. God will never love you any more or any less than he loves you right now. Because his love isn't based on who you are or how you perform. Rather, it is based on who he is. And in God's nature, God is love. When you experience that, I'm going to tell you this. You're falling on the very nature of God, and your hope quotient is going to rise. Your number one calling in life isn't to do, it's to receive. It's to let God love you. Take a look at Paul as he talks about this in Ephesians 3 17 and 19. I pray, I do that, I prayed this prayer as your pastor for you, so I'm gonna personalize it. Pastor George prays that Christ will be more and more at home. In other words, I want you to be comfortable with Jesus. I want that word to be able to flow off uh, your lips and not be embarrassed by it. And more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. I want your life rooted in the love of God, and not just in your mind, as Paul mentions first, and may you have the power to understand, yes, I want it there. As all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is, may you experience the love of Christ. Though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. Will you circle experience? I just don't want you to understand it. I don't want your response. Do you know that God loves you? Yeah, I, I I know that. No, I want your heart to skip a beat. Now I've said this before. To understand God's love is like an ant trying to comprehend what the internet is. It's virtually impossible. And yet the Bible says that we are seek, we are, we are to try to seek to understand the love of God, how high it is. How wide it is, how long it is, and how deep it is. And so to get our minds working, let's ask ourselves some questions. How wide is God's love? Will you write this down? It's wide enough to be everywhere. You see, there is no place that you will ever go that God is not. There is no place that you will ever go where God's love isn't. It's in a bar when you are drunk. It's in a red light district where people are selling and buying and selling body parts, which, by the way, this is an issue in the United States and in Dallas. I'm sending, we are sending three people: Melinda, Carol, and uh, Maggie to IJM, International Justice Ministry that trains people and talks about uh, about sex, um, sex trafficking and it's right here in Dallas and it's in Plano, by the way, along with slave labor. God's love is there. God's love is in the ghettos where people are homeless. You may say, well, Pastor George, I don't see God's love in those places. Well, that doesn't mean that it's not there. Folks, there's a lot of things that you and I don't see that are real. We don't see radio waves, but we know that they're real, aren't they? We just have to get tuned into them. We can't see God either, but we know that he's real. In fact, he's more real than you and I are. And yet, if we could just tune into him, we would experience him. There's a lot of stuff that we don't see, but God's love is there, meaning that there is no place that you go that God is not. You may feel lonely at times, okay? I wonder where God's at. But He is there because God's love is wide enough to be everywhere. How long is God's love? Will you write this down? It is long enough to last forever. Human love wears out. Would anyone like to share a story about that one? <laughs> That's why we have divorce. That's why we have conflicts in relationships. That's why we have breakups. Human love wears out, but God's love never wears out. He will never, ever stop loving you. Even if you choose to reject him and choose hell over heaven, God will still love you because God's love is eternal. How deep is God's love? Well, write this down. It's deep enough to handle anything. No matter what pain you're going through, no matter what problem that you are facing, no matter what hurt you have experienced, God's love is deeper. You may say, well, I'm in the pits right now. I mean, I've hit rock bottom. I've never been lower, lower in my life. God's love is lower still. How high is God's love? Will you write this down? High enough to overlook my sins. High enough to overlook my flops, my failures, and my fumbles. God offers you and I forgiveness through Jesus Christ, and he offers it to you and I again and again and again. God is the God of second chances, and third chances, and fourth chances, and Godzillion chances. God is high enough that he overlooks our failures. And millions and billions of years ago, Before anything existed, God thought of you. And he decided to love you. And God has been waiting your entire life to where you would be quiet enough to hear him say to you, I love you. I really love you. I planned your birth. I have never ever turned my back on you, even when you turned your back on me. My eye has been on you ever since you came into this world because I made you to love you. And I love you. So here's my question. How would your life change? How would your life be transformed? How would it be different if you not only knew that, but that you experienced it? What would your morning be like if you woke up and you knew God couldn't wait till you got up and you started to listen to what he had to say about your purpose in life. Do you think that would make a difference? Or at lunch when you're out with your coworkers? Or when you come home after a long day and you are now engaged with your family? Do you think that your life would change if you not only knew God's love, but that you experienced it? Sure it would. Folks, I could give you hundreds of ways that God, your life, would change, but we don't have time. This is step 1A of discovering your purpose in life. I want to give you five things that will radically change in your life when you drop it from your head into your heart and experience it. And the first one is this. I will feel accepted rather than Then ashamed you see most people who, who go through life avoid God and they do so because they're ashamed they feel guilty they feel under condemnation and they know God is perfect and that they're not and so hey I don't want to be around a perfect person and feel guilty all the time I'm afraid if I was around God he'd shake his finger of correction at me and say you little jerk but Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn us. No, he said, I've came, I came here to save it. Paul elaborates on this in Romans 8, 1, where he says, hey, there is no, that word no is the most emphatic negative in the Greek. No, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Take a look at this verse, Romans 5, 1. By faith we have been made acceptable to God, And now, because of our Lord Jesus Christ, we live at peace with God. Will you circle the word acceptable. And because we are totally accepted by God, guess what? We can live at peace. Now, let me tell you why that's important. It's because it sets us free from the addiction of approval. Most people live their life Addicted to pleasing other people. And it affects their whole life. It affects the car they drive, the clothes they wear, the house that they buy, the neighborhood that they live in. We do all these things and more because we seek the approval of others. We're addicted. But when you know God's unconditional love, you realize, I don't need other people's approval. When you experience that in your heart and you get criticized for something, guess what? It doesn't have to bother you. I mean, if God likes me and I like me and you don't like me, guess who's got the problem, okay? (laughs) It sure ain't me and God. (laughs) Folks, I'm at the top of the chain and I get complaints and criticisms all the time. Guess what? They don't have to bother me because I know that God loves me. Now, a book I read this summer about this topic matter in prepping is a book by Henry Nouwen, my beloved. Read it. It will change your life. Romans 8, 33, 34 says this. If God says his chosen ones are acceptable to him, can anyone bring charges against them? Or can anyone condemn them? no indeed because I feel accepted rather than ashamed this is a big one the second one is this when you and I experience the love of God and we get beyond just thoughts let it impact us I'm bold in bringing my needs to God I'm bold in my <laughs> prayer life Why? Because I understand that I am a son or daughter of God, and I can talk to to my dad about anything. When my kids were growing up, they would ask me for anything and everything. They just assumed that I had it all, right? I'd tell them, I said, I don't have money. Well, just go to that machine and get out that money, you know. You know what I'm talking about? And they thought I knew it all. It is a crying shame. Is it not that our kids grow up? Today, they don't know that. So what I like is I like preschool. We got a preschool here. Uh, We've got a preschool, I'd say 95% of them are Indian. We have a great mission field. We love our Indian neighbors, and we get to know them. But there is one gal that's in our preschool that is what I would call my pastor's pals. She would come out of preschool and come to my office because I bribed them with candy. Uh, I have parents' permission, okay? But and she come in, so we've gotten to know one another over the last couple of years. And her name is Allison. And this summer, this is the quote of summer, okay? She was with her mom at home. Hey, show the picture up there of Allison. And she, isn't she cute? She's cute. She said this. If Google doesn't know it, ask Pastor George. <laughs> I just love her. I just love little kids. Aren't they great? Oh, how I wish that were true of me, okay? But it is of God. Take a look at Romans 8, 14, and 15, and 17. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you should not like, so you should not be like covering fearful, fearful or cowering fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children. Adopted into his family Calling him father, dear father don't, don't you like that phrase? When Jesus in the Lord's Prayer said Our father, that was radical Today we don't think of it as radical But back then it was God God's name was so reverent They didn't even spell the whole thing out They just used the consonants And he says father You can call your dad father That word in the Greek is Abba And that doesn't stand for a Swedish rock band either Okay, No, it, it, it's father, daddy Dada, Papa. Which means that when you and I come to God, we don't have to use highfalutin words. Oh, most high, reverent, holy, omniscient God. I mean, if my kids came to me and said, Oh, most holy, earthly Father, <laughs> He who controls everything and our allowance. We beseech thee. I'd go, oh? I can tell you this. When my kids come into my presence and they need something, they just ask for it. Hey, Dad, I need some cash. I mean, they are bold, and they get right to the point. The Bible says you can be that way with God. Now, he goes on. And since we are his children, we will share his treasures. In other words, we get the inheritance. For everything God gives to his son Christ is ours too. Folks, you and I can come boldly into the presence of God and say, God, I need, I want. I love this picture. Remember John F. K., the picture, in fact, show it, of him in his office, and I think it's John Jr. who's under that. I don't know who he was calling and working on, at his desk, President Kennedy. It could have been talking to Khrushchev, getting ready for that talk, okay? But there is his son playing under his desk. Here's the most powerful man in the world, and his son has access, has privilege because he's family. When you become a child of God, guess what? You got privileges. You can go into the very presence of God regardless of what, may, what God may be working on at the time because you have access. Take a look at Hebrews uh, verse, uh, chapter four, verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace. He's talking about praying here. With confidence, that's boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God loves you. He wants that not just to be a thought. He wants you to experience it. So I feel accepted and not ashamed. So I can boldly come into his presence and talk to him. And there's another one that if you and I can just get it to our hearts is this. I can have peace and pain I don't understand. There's going to be things that are going to happen in your life that's going to be like a V8 Getting a V8 slap across the face. It's going to blindside you. And it's going to cause you to say, Why? God, why me? Why this? Why now? Why? Now, let me say something. When you and I ask God questions, understand that God doesn't have to answer, He's God. And when these kinds of things, a slap across the face, some curveball that you didn't see hits you, a lot of times we ask the question why, and there's silence. And let me explain why this is the case. First, understand that not everything that happens in your life is God's will. There's a lot of evil in this world. And sometimes that evil raises up its ugly head we live in a broken world and sometimes that brokenness hits us sometimes it's our broken bodies that hits us sometimes it's our broken economy that hits us sometimes it's our broken culture that hits us and it hurts but not everything that happens in our life is god's will And you're going to go through those times when something is going to blindside you. And it may be a loss or a hurt or rejection. But here's the deal. Why God doesn't give you an explanation when you ask, oftentimes, is because he understands that that explanation won't result in peace. Explanations rarely result in peace. When someone dies, the doctor might come in, well, they died of a heart attack, but that isn't going to comfort you. You're still going to grieve, and you're still going to have a loss. Explanations don't comfort. What does comfort, though, is presence. And through God's presence, he gives a peace that passes all understanding. And Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. You might write this down. He says, and, and the peace of God will pass all understanding, and it'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What is this peace that passes all understanding? Folks, it's when you don't understand what's going on, and yet you've got a peace about it. And why is that? Because you know that God is a good God. And that he is good all the time. You know that he loves you. You know that he wants the best out of your life. And you know that you can trust him even when things suck. And that results in a peace that passes all understanding. And it surpasses, and that happens when you and I feel the very presence of God and his love in our life. When our firstborn came into this world, Aaron was severely dyslexic. He could not read at the age of 10. And if you're a parent, you got concerns, and Cheryl and I did. What is our kid going to do? How is he going to make it in this world? And God began to speak to us in that time. George, do you believe I love you? Yes. Do you believe I love your son more than you love him? Yes, God. George, understand. Bad things happen to Christians also. There's no difference when it comes to life between Christians and non-Christians. But the difference comes when you not just understand, but you experience the love of God in your life because it gives you a peace that non-Christians don't have. And that peace comes as you and I stop listening to our feelings and we start listening to the word of God, praying over the promises of God, seeking to fulfill the purposes of God in our life Falling on the very nature of God. Let me give you this promise again. We we mentioned this last week in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Circle the word called and circle the word purpose and draw a line between the two again. Because calling and purpose go together when we live the calling that is on our life and we let God love us which is our first calling and we respond back to that love then all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and that gives us a peace that passes all understanding and our hope quotient goes out of the roof get it Good, give it away because our world is filled with hopeless people and God has a purpose for their life. Discover yours. The fourth thing that happens when I totally experience the love of God for my life is this, I gain the courage to take risks. When somebody believes in you You can accomplish almost anything. There have been times in my life, in fact, a couple of years ago, I did a funeral. I went to the doctors, and you know my medical condition, and I was cathed for four months on that day. I did a funeral that day. A few days later, I did a wedding. And then that same week, I had to make major decisions about a staff person. And then Sunday came along. I wanted to sleep in. Up and down, and all over the place, and I came to church. God, I am emotionally, and spiritually, and physically, wrung out. And Cheryl came by at second base and gave me her water. And she looked at me with those big brown eyes, gave me a wink. My engine kicked into overdrive. blah boom, OK? Because I knew she believed in me, and that made a difference. When someone believes in you unconditionally, like God does, and you experience that, folks, it releases you. You see, some of you have dreams, but you are scared to death to go for it. Why? Because you have this thought, what if I fail? Can I say this? You're human. You probably will. But failure isn't final. And it won't break you. At least it doesn't have to. And the key to overcoming the fear of failure is to focus in on the unconditional love of God. The confidence that he has in you as one of his sons and daughters I will never forget growing up. I was seven, eight years old in Kermasale, Turkey. My dad was in the Navy. I was uh, putting together, gluing together a model airplane. And back then, the glue was that old-fashioned glue. It took 24 hours to set, and it was not coming together. And I was getting frustrated. And my dad could hear my frustration And so he knocked on the door and says, can I come in? And I can't. He did, and I said, sure. And he came in, what's going on? Oh, this dumb plane, it won't work. I'm just a failure, you know. And I'll never forget what my dad said. He says, Well, you've been giving it your best shot, it looks like. I tell you what, we'll try to do it again, but this time I'll help you. And I will never forget those words because I knew then that it was going to happen. You see, we all fail in life, don't we? Some of us fail publicly. Helicopter. I'm going to milk that thing for all it's worth, okay? Some of us fail privately. But God comes along in our failure. And he says, I know you've tried to give it your best shot. This time, we'll do it together. And that gives you the confidence to pursue the dream in your marriage. In your career. With your family. Unconditional love turns losers into winners. Winners. So, take a look at 1 Corinthians or 1 John 4 18. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. When love comes in the front door, the unconditional love of the father, papa, daddy towards you, fear goes out the back door. And you and I need to stop fearing God. And for some of us, This is your moment. You have been fearing God. You have been resisting, surrendering your life to him. And yet he stands this wide and says, I love you this much. I made you to love you. And you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. I'm going to ask us to bow our heads. Some of you need to do this. You will not discover your purpose until you take step 1A here. Because this is where it starts. So let's bow our heads. Lord, right now, if this is your prayer and you know God is poking at you, so to speak, this one's for you. Just repeat it in your heart. By saying this, God, I admit right now I failed. But I believe that you love me, that you died on the cross to demonstrate that love, and I want to receive it. You've created me as a receptacle, a benefactor, and I want to receive your unconditional love and unconditional forgiveness of my life. I want to drop you from my head into my heart. And if you prayed that prayer, as simple as it was, you're one of the king's sons or daughters. Would you just let me know, though, on your communication card. Check the box or write your name, email address, and and put the letter A and circle it. However, but just put it in the offering basket because I want to help you. In Jesus' name, amen. The fifth thing that will radically change in your life when you experience the love of God is this I worship instead of worry. You see, what is worship? It is expressing your love to God. That's all worship is. And you can do that by yourself by just saying in your own closet, God, I love you. You can do it in your small groups. Jesus, we love you. You can do it in a large group like this. Anytime you express your love to God, that's called worship. Now for some of you, this is your primary purpose in life. Yes, we are all called to worship. Obviously, I have not been called to be a worship leader. I don't sing that well. I think I do, but no one else goes with my beat. But there are some of you sitting out there, and you know deep down inside, you need to be up on this stage. You need to be maybe playing an instrument, worshiping God that way. Or you need to be on the tech booth and making it all happen as you express yourself that way in worship to God. Here is a gentleman that discovered his purpose in life. Leo Carter, take a look at this.
1: Hi, my name is Leo. Uh, I serve on the vocal worship team. So at the beginning of my journey, I was the rebel, I had spiky blind hair, went through quite a few things in life, met my wife and uh, she kind of led me kind of down the path towards God. We ended up coming to Life Point Church the first time I came here. The worship team and the music and the love that I felt coming off that stage just kind of grabbed me up and I told her, I said, wouldn't it be funny if, uh, you know, as much as I love music, if I came and I started singing for Life Point Church and she's like, well, why don't you try? And so I did. Music is, like, in my soul. That first worship service that I went to, I just felt like I was home. This is where I belonged. I mean, I've been looking for it my whole life, and this is where I was. Is, these are my people. The church has led me into a direction that has made me want to spread that love that I felt when I got here. If I can reach that one person like that group met, reached me, then I've served a purpose. You know? And so I do that whenever they ask me to. Come here and I sing. I sing the praises to the Lord.
0: Let's give it up. That is awesome. Now, God has created all of us to worship. But some of us, really, we know that it's our primary calling in our life. But here's the question for us in general. How do you know when you're not experiencing God's love in your life. It's real simple. You worry. Worry is a sign and a thought belief that you're an orphan. That God's not around. That you're going to go through life all alone. When we don't experience God's love, we worry. And yet God has told us again and again and again in Scripture I'm with you, but if you will seek me and receive from me, I'll reduce that worry quotient. Take a look at Matthew six, verse 31 and 34. So don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. He will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And so we're going to end in worship. We're going to end in worship by giving back to the Lord. And we're going to end by singing kind of a chorus of a song. And let's fulfill one of the purposes that God has created us for. One of the callings in our life is to receive. And as we sing the song, just think, God, God, I just want to feel the words. I want to feel your breath. I love you. I love you. Let's pray. God, may our minds be it still. And may we feel the breath of God as you whisper to our souls, I love you. I love you more than you know. My eye is always on you. I created you to be loved by me. God, may we as your people know that you love us. that we might know how high, how wide, how long, how deep to such a degree that our hearts are moved. That when we are in life, as life is happening to us we don't listen to ourselves but rather we listen to you. That we fall, that we fall on your nature, your character, through your word and through your promises that we might experience that we are sons and daughters of the King. God, may that be true of our church. May the eyes of our hearts be enlightened that we might know what your calling is on our life. So God, we give you this today. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.